Amen. What a day that's going to be when we get to stand in the presence of our Savior and behold His face. And all of our problems will just melt away. Matthew chapter 6 in your Bibles tonight. Guys, take me down just a hair on the, on the mic there. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 9. We're continuing our series, Coming to God. We looked at the idea of coming to God as a child this morning. A sermon about salvation. And uh, tonight we're going to continue this series, Coming to God, as it pertains to growth in Christ for those who are saved. Matthew chapter 6. Let's stand, if we can, for the reading of God's Word, verse 9, down through verse number 13. Matthew chapter 6. This is a very common passage. Matthew chapter 6. Those of you who grew up Catholic probably have every word of this memorized, alright? Okay, but it's a passage of Scripture. It's important. We need to read it and understand it. The Bible says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Beginning of the verse 9 there, we find the title of our sermon tonight. After this manner, pray. After this manner, pray. That's the command of Christ. We've been commanded to pray, and we're to follow this model in prayer. Let's pray tonight. Lord, as we address such a vital, vital issue Lord, uh, stir our hearts tonight. There are some here who have no prayer life, others who have a little bit of a prayer life, and then others who have a robust prayer life. But Lord, wherever we're at on our journey of communicating with you, there are things we could do to, Lord, be better communicators with heaven. And so God, speak to me tonight through your word. And Lord, may each one of us uh, leave here just more committed to prayer. And Lord, more committed to a life of prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever known someone who you would say, he or she is a prayer warrior? He or she really knows how to get hold of God and prays all the time. Speaking with a pastor friend this week, and he said of his aunt before she died, he said, uh, if she was not... If she was awake, she spent more time talking to God than she didn't. Wow. What a statement. I'm talking about someone who values, I mean truly values times in God's presence. Someone who seemed to, someone who has seemed to have climbed over that awkward, I don't know how to do this prayer thing wall and they actually enjoy their prayer time. They know how to speak with God, they know how to get hold of God. Throughout my life, I have known many people like this. And if I knew I needed something from God, I'd pray myself, but boy, I would find my way to these prayer warriors and I would say, could you pray for this on my behalf? Could you go to heaven for me and talk to the Lord about this? Now, 
the ultimate way to get hold of uh, God is when you have a saintly person who's on their deathbed. To say, when you get into the presence of God, if you happen to think of it, could you mention this on my behalf? As a pastor, I have done that a handful of times. Jesus was that person, that prayer warrior for his disciples. Regularly, Jesus would leave them and go off by himself and spend either a season in time of time in prayer or at the very least, he would be away from them all night, all night praying. Have you ever stayed awake all night? For the purpose of praying, that's what Jesus would do. You say, well, he was God. Yes, but Jesus had a flesh. And you know what? When Jesus was up all night praying, the next day Jesus was tired, just like you and I would be tired. But he would give up all night to walk and talk with his Father. I imagine the disciples wondered, how does he do that? Now, I know in the early days of learning how to pray, I'd pray for everything imaginable. And then I'd look at the clock thinking I had just prayed for like, you know, an hour or something and all of seven minutes had gone by. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And uh, now it, it isn't hard for me to pray an hour or more. But all night... How do you talk to the Lord six, seven, eight straight hours? His disciples wondered that. Um, After some time of of observing his robust prayer life, they humbly came to him in Matthew chapter 6 and they asked him this question. They said, how do you pray? Or they worded it this way in a statement, teach us how to pray. So Jesus took uh, his disciples, he sat them down, and he gave them a model. Now, listen closely. I do not believe that God's model prayer was meant to be copied word for word. Alright? Let me help you understand it this way. In Bible college, they taught us how to prepare a sermon, how to write a sermon. They sat us down and they gave us a template of how to put a sermon together. Then, my preaching 101 teacher gave us a sample sermon that followed that model. You could call it a model sermon. Now, he said, when you prepare your sermon, follow this template. That did not mean we were to memorize every word of that sermon and then only preach that one sermon every time we got up. A model sermon is meant to provide a template for how to preach. A model prayer is meant to provide you a template on how to pray. In fact, in this very passage earlier, he says, "...be not guilty of vain repetitions." How about you? Do you pray? When Christians at random are anonymously surveyed with no name attached, 
The results come back over and over and over again. Through the years, I've read a, a whole bunch of different surveys done by a whole bunch of different groups. And consistently, over the last several decades of being uh, questioned, surveyed, the average response of time that a Christian prays is three to five minutes per day. That's it. Prayer is something we talk about a lot, but it's not something that many of us do very often. Once a man was asked, what is so different about your religion? Why yours and why not someone else's? The man who was a Christian replied, because I don't have a religion. What I have with my Lord and Savior is a personal relationship. Does that define you? If the whole sum of your spirituality is going to church and treating the Bible like an encyclopedia and praying customarily in the church building and maybe the same type of prayer before you eat and that's all there is to it, then what you have is not a relationship. What you have is a religion. That's no different than the Catholics or the Lutherans or any other people group who just go through a formalistic set of prayers. And Relationship with Jesus is speaking to Him through prayer regularly and letting Him speak to you through the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Now, I do not want to drive you to a place of a guilty conscience this evening. That's not the point of the sermon. But rather, I want to drive you to a place where you get serious about prayer. Pastor Andrew a little bit ago talked about the importance of unity in a church. I like what he said. Any two women in the church ought to be able to be paired together and there ought to be no ought between them. Any two men in the church ought to be paired together There ought not be any ought between them. By the way, any husband and wife ought to be asked to pray, and there ought not be any ought between them. Any parent and child ought to be paired together. Unity is a big part of a church's health, but can I tell you what else is a big part? Prayer. What would happen, what would happen if this church, I mean just the people in this room tonight, were to get down unity and prayer. I mean really get them down. What kind of revival would we see? I believe we're seeing some glimpse or some form of revival currently in our church. But oh, how much greater it could be. This property would not be able to hold the abundance of people that would come if we would learn to be unified and we would learn how to pray. Tonight, I'd like for us to consider the Lord's model prayer and encourage you not only to follow its model, but also show you why you should do so. So tonight, I want us to focus on how God can change you through a consistent prayer life. Yes, if you pray often enough and fervently enough, you will move the heart of God. But... God does not need to change His character. You and I need to change our character. 
So, who does prayer change? It changes us. Prayer changes, prayer can change the mind of God. But more importantly, prayer ought to change the character of the Christian. So, I'd like for us to take five areas of prayer and consider several thoughts about those areas and how they can change us. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, after this manner, pray. Here's what I want to encourage you to do tonight. Even if you do not normally take notes, I have a very lengthy outline tonight. I'm not going to preach any longer than normal. It's still going to be long. It's always long, all right? I'm not going to preach any longer than normal, but what I do want to encourage you to do is take this because any, any one of these points or subpoints could be a sermon all in itself. And I want you to take, especially if you are still learning how to pray, I want you to take this home and I want you to look at it in great depth at home. This can be a guide to help you pray if you allow it. So please fill out the blanks and hold on to the paper. All right? Let's look at these five areas of prayer. Number one, let's talk about my praise time. My praise time. Go back with me to Matthew 6 and look with me at verse number 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Look here, our Father. We're starting out by identifying God as our paternal head, our leader. He's our Father. We're, we're, we are acknowledging His authority in our life. Our Father, which art in heaven, look at this phrase, hallowed be thy name. That word hallowed, it means holy, just, perfect. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. When you pray, listen closely, do not begin by talking about yourself or others on any level. Now, all right, disclaimer. I'm talking about when, when you have that time in your day, when you have, you're entering in your prayer closet, and you're going to spend a chunk of time with the Lord. Okay? I would encourage you to do that in the morning. Some of you say, well, I do, I, I'm a night person, and so I pray at night. Okay. Have a prayer time. That's the most important. But you need to make sure that you have something. I would encourage you to do it in the morning. Uh, 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 train yourself to be able to get up and have a prayer time in the morning. I think it is so valuable that you do that. And when you enter into this block of prayer time, do not begin by talking about yourself or others. Enter into this prayer time talking about the Lord. Now, later on in the day, you've had your time with the Lord. Later on in the day, God brings someone to your mind or you have a need. Hey, feel free to really quick run in and talk to the Lord about that. But when you are beginning this chunk of prayer time, let's not talk about ourselves. Let's not talk about others. Let's just focus on the Lord. Why? Why? Because you and I are naturally selfish. We're self-centered. And we want to come to God and we want to talk about ourselves. Begin your time in prayer focused on God, not focused on you. What happens when we choose to selfishly 
or rather selflessly praise God? Well, praise time letter A, it offers perspective. It offers perspective. What kind of perspective does it offer? I'd encourage you to go to Psalm chapter 8 in your Bible. It offers perspective, and write these down somewhere on your paper if you can find a spot. It offers perspective of who God is. It offers perspective of who God is. Psalm chapter 8. David, I believe, to be sitting under the stars and watching his sheep. Uh, The sky would have been lit up bright between the moon and the stars and maybe a long ways from any sort of light. They wouldn't have had electricity back then and so the sky would have just glowed with the stars above head and he's looking up into the heavens. He's beholding how great God is. Look at Psalm 8. Look at verse 1. David says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Wow. You know what happens when we take time to praise God and we don't think about ourselves for a few minutes every day? We take the time to realize just how great and mighty our King is. I talked about this morning how uh, kids are... Uh, we make excuses for kids and, and how they're really good at things that uh, are not good for them and then we make excuses for them in other areas. But can I say as adults, we make excuses for ourselves also. You say, well, I don't know how to pray. Have you ever actually worked at it? I mean that, sincerely. Have you ever actually disciplined yourself to work at it? Through just a quick Google search, you can find all kinds of websites that have lists of the names of God in alphabetical order from A to Z. And I mean, they're lengthy. You know what? If you want to praise the Lord, take a few minutes and write down three or four of those names of God and just spend a few minutes in His presence praising Him for those names and, and work at it. Work at it. Work at adoring God and you'll realize just how great God is, but not only does uh, my praise time offer a perspective of who God is, it also offers a perspective of who I am, of who I am. Look at verse 3 and 4, Psalm 8. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Now, I have experienced exactly what I believe David was experiencing when he wrote this psalm. I have walked out into God's creation on a, in the evening out under a brightly lit sky of stars and the moon, way out in the middle of the country, in the middle of nowhere, and seeing the sky glow with stars and the cool air blow across and, and feel the, the cool air on my arms and look up toward the skies and just stand there in silence and, and in a moment of being still and realizing that He is God and realizing how great and mighty our Lord is, and then realizing, I'm a nobody. I I am nothing. God, You're so great and mighty. And I am small. I am not as big of a deal as I think I am. When I spend time praising God, it renews my perspective of who God is. And who I am. Well, what else comes about by taking the time to praise the Lord? Letter B, it brings about worship. 
It brings about worship. Looking back over my life, when I have not had much of a prayer life, I have not really worshipped God much. You see, the absence of a prayer life is the absence of worshipping God. I'll also say this. In the times where my prayer life has been at its best, coming to church helps enhance my worship of the Lord. And when I have been active in my prayer life, boy, the songs we sing in the service, they just mean a little bit more. And uh, the, uh, the, the, the songs that are sung in church, it just means a little bit more. And back when I sat on the pew and absorbed the preaching, the preaching just seemed to be, uh, mean a little bit more because I was able to worship God on just a little bit deeper of a level. When we worship, when we praise the Lord, we're able to truly worship the Lord. What happens when we take time and we open in prayer and we don't talk about ourselves at all? We don't talk about others at all. We just come in the presence of God, lock our eyes on His greatness and His majesty, and we praise Him Well, it offers us a proper perspective. It brings about worship. Number two, we saw my praise time. How about my confession of sin? Go back with me to Matthew 6 where we began and look with me at verse number 12. Jesus is laying out a model for His disciples to pray. Look with me at verse 12. Jesus says to pray, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's important to take the time and confess your sin to God. What does it mean to worship God? I heard this definition when I was a teenager, and it has stuck with me throughout the years. Some of you who uh, astutely listen to me preach, you've heard me say this many times, but uh, I'm, I'll just keep on preaching it and repeating it. Worshiping God is the realization that He is everything, and I am nothing. Worshiping God is the realization that He is everything, and I am nothing. You see, if you praise the Lord before you confess your sin, then you have done an adequate job of high and of the Lord being high and lifted up in your mind and heart, and you have seen Him as perfect, hallowed, and holy. And now you're going to turn your attention to yourself, not to lift up a bunch of petitions to the Lord, but to now look at how wretched and broken and sinful that you are. And what happens is we're offered this whole perspective of how great God is and how frail and flawed we truly are. But what happens when I acknowledge my sin? Letter A, notice, it reminds me of God's holiness. Turn over to Psalm 51 in your Bible. Psalm 51. Psalm 51 was written after Nathan had confronted David over his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and then murder of her husband to cover up the pregnancy. And he had married Bathsheba. He thought that he had got it all swept up under the rug. And all the while, God told Nathan and said, I'm going to take the life of that newborn child born in that adulterous relationship. And David fell on his face before the Lord to confess his sin. And Psalm 51 is maybe the most famous chapter in the Bible showing us how to 
confess our sin. Now notice that uh, when we are confessing our sin, it reminds us of God's holiness. Let's notice a few attributes out of chapter 51 about the holiness of God. We see that his speaking of God, his judgments on me are perfect. Look at verse 4. Against thee, David says, thee only have I sinned. And done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. You know what he's saying? You have every right to judge me any way you want. Your judgments toward my sin are perfect. You're not going to judge me wrongly. Look at verse 6. We see that uh, that God epitomizes truth and wisdom. He is Truth and wisdom, verse 6, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Church, listen to me. Oftentimes when we won't confess our sin, it's because we're not willing to be honest with ourselves over our own shortcomings. We're lying to ourselves and God wants truth in the inward parts. It goes on and says, and in the hidden part, thou, sh- thou shalt make me to know wisdom. The Lord epitomizes truth in wisdom. Look down at verse 9. We see here that a holy God, He hates the very sight of sin. Uh, he says, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. God cannot stand even the very sight of our wrongdoing, our sin. Look at verse 11. We see that the very Spirit of God is holy. Cast me not away from Thy presence and take not Thy Holy Spirit from me. He said, I want a spirit of holiness. I don't want to lose that spirit of holiness. Do not cast me away from Your presence. Your presence, Your very presence, Your very Spirit is holy. What happens when I take the time to daily confess my sin? Well, I'm reminded of God's holiness, but notice also that it humiliates me. It humiliates me. Look down at verse 12 of Psalm 51. David says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. My, con- my confession time reminds me daily of how filthy and sinful that I really am. You know what we need? We need humility. We have a world filled with people who are proud to be proud. They flaunt their pride. Solomon told Rehoboam that there are those who wear pride around their neck like a chain. People that walk around with shirts that have vulgar, pornographic logos, they're telling the world that they're proud of their sin. Christians, you may not be guilty of that, But what you and I can be guilty of is having pride right under the surface and never never being willing to actually identify it and address it. When I get on my face before God every day and confess my sin, it humiliates me. 
Because I've come before God and realized just how sinful I truly am. And by the way, we sin on three levels. Sin is anything I think, say, or do that breaks the laws of God. You say, well, I didn't say it and I didn't do it. Yeah, but you thought it. To be honest with everyone here tonight, the greatest area that I struggle with with sin takes place between my ears and my mind. Well, on a regular basis, I'll say to God, I'll say, boy, take that thought and put it in handcuffs and get it away from me. That was wicked. I should have never thought that. should have never let that come through my mind. Oh, Lord, forgive me for that one. My confession time, my confession of sin reminds me of God's holiness. It humiliates me, let her see. It humbles my spirit toward others. Look at verse 5, Psalm 51. David says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Many relationship problems are seated in a forgetfulness that all of us are nothing more than flawed dirt. All of us are flawed dirt. I've seen many Christians who will not forgive somebody who wronged them. And I'm left to wonder about that Christian. Did you fall on your face this morning and confess your sin to God? Because if you every day go back to the throne of grace and ask God to give you His mercy and His grace and forgive you, then how could you not turn around and forgive someone who's wronged you? You see, when you won't forgive, you're telling on yourself. You're telling on yourself that you never go to God or rarely go to God and ask Him for the forgiveness of your own sin. I cannot daily rely on God to show me mercy and give me His forgiveness for my own wickedness and then be humbled in my spirit at a realization of how sinful I am and then not be willing to forgive others who've transgressed me and done wrong to me. Why is it important that every day we confess our sin? Because you and I are flawed and we need to be reminded of how flawed we are and how perfect God is. My humbles my spirit toward others. Don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you in here tonight have a person in your life you have to see on a semi-regular basis or regular basis and they're just difficult to be with. And they are they're difficult. I mean, it's a boss... Maybe it's that uh, aunt or uncle at a family reunion you just avoid. Maybe it's an adult child. Maybe it's, maybe it's your own spouse. I don't know. You have that person, they're just difficult to exist with. If you're on your knees confessing your sin every day, God's going to give you that much grace to extend to them because you have grace extended to you. When we pray, we ought to take time first to praise God. Now, uh, I don't have a graphic on the screen for this, but I can describe it simple enough. 
If you're new to prayer, and even if you're a seasoned prayer warrior, I would recommend that when you go into your time of prayer, you prepare first. Get a piece of paper, get a prayer journal, get a 3x5 or 4x6 card, and write down three or four things for that day that you want to praise the Lord for. And then take the time to confess your sin. Every day when I confess my sin, I follow the same template. If you want to turn that half sheet over and write all these down, you can do that. I go through a list of, of areas in my own heart or my own life, and I confess my sins. I begin with the sins of my eyes. So I, if you want to write this list down, eyes. What did I look at today that did not please the Lord? My ears. What did I listen to today? That did not please the Lord. And then after I'm done confessing the sin of my ears, I move on and confess the sins of my heart. Was the Holy Spirit of God in charge of my heart? Was the Holy Spirit of God in charge of the Spirit that came from my heart? Or did pride sit on the throne of my heart? Was it God's Spirit that called the shots or was it Richard that called the shots? After I'm done confessing the sins of my heart, I move on and confess the sins of my mind. My thought life. Then I move on and confess the sins of my mouth. There's a progression here, by the way. The eyes and the ears filter into the heart. From our heart, that dictates what we think. And what we think dictates what we say. Then when I'm done confessing the sins of my mouth, I just confess any other sin the Lord brings to mind. And guess what, folks? I'm brutally honest. Brutally honest. Maybe I'm perusing the internet and I come across a joke and it's uh, an off-colored joke. And I read it and I laugh. When I'm in my prayer time with the Lord, I am just flat honest with the Lord. I should not have laughed at that joke. What is it that I have to hide from God that He can't already see? Do you know He knows everything about you? He knows every thought you think. So why are we trying to be deceptive with God? You say, but pastor, do I have to be brutally honest with the Lord? Listen, you handle it how you want. I'm not saying chapter and verse, but I am saying that for me, what I have found, when I'm brutally honest with God over my own shortcomings, it makes me quite humble. Confession of sin. What's the goal in this time? The goal is to get ourselves to where we're clean and in right standing with God. Okay, so you've gotten done confessing your sin. Now what? Number three. Number three. Notice my thanks time or thanksgiving time. Go back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're done in Psalm 51. Matthew 6. And look at verse number 11. Jesus instructed the disciples to pray, Give us this day our daily bread. Notice those words, daily bread. Oftentimes, we take for granted our daily bread. I stopped at the grocery store for Angela on the way home yesterday from picking up your apple cider donuts and apple cider, all right? And I bought a loaf of bread at the grocery store. And I find myself doing that a lot, stopping at the store to get milk and bread, all right? Um, I think they should have a drive through window where you can just pull through and get Basic grocery items like milk or bread. I think that's a great business idea, by the way, all right? But I'm a pastor. I'm not a businessman, all right? But uh, our daily bread. You know what? 
I didn't have to sweat on whether or not the cash was going to be in the bank to pay for that $2.38 loaf of bread. It's there. In fact, I've been married for 16 years. I'm getting ready to turn 40 years old. I can't ever remember a day in my life where there wasn't some form of bread in the house. God's just always made sure that that bread has been there. Amen? But why does God teach us in Matthew 6, or Christ teach us in Matthew 6, that we're to pray for our daily bread? Because we become entitled, and then we can just assume that because we've always had it, we always will have it. Please and thank you are important practices taught to children, but they're also important for us who call ourselves the children of God. Why? They teach us to be humble before our God. What happens when I take daily time to thank God? Well, it letter A, it eliminates complaining. Eliminates complaining. All right, go back to Psalm with me in chapter 100. Psalm chapter number 100. Psalm number 100. Turn over there in your Bibles if you would. This is a great psalm and one that's highlighted usually around this time of year, especially as we come into the Thanksgiving season. Look at verse number 1. The psalmist said, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Look at those next two words. Know ye, know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. A regular time of thanking God for the good things in our lives helps us to know that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Hey, and you know what we need to be reminded of regularly? The Lord is good. Our flesh just tends toward complaining. Our flesh tends toward being negative. Our t flesh tends toward all of the things that are wrong. Do you understand that your body is a complex a combination of systems that work in tandem in order for you to enjoy life? And you may have uh, an ache. You may have uh, something not working just right. But do you understand that probably 90 plus percent of the bodily systems you have at this moment are all working very well? But you know what happens we focus on the, that couple of percentage points that aren't working well. And instead of thanking God for all the things that do work well, we tend to complain about what's not going well. And that is a great example of our lives in general. We tend to complain about the handful of things in our life that aren't just perfect. When we are, oh, we have so many things in our lives that are just so great. And you know what? When we take a few minutes each day, to thank God for the good in our lives, complaining just seems to fall off. I have, uh, I have gone through seasons of, of, of my day, and it happens, unfortunately it happens too often, where I just get in a complaining mood. 
or a complaining mode. And you know what? I can't stand the way he drives and I can't stand the way she looks at me and I can't stand the way that he talks to me and I can't stand the way that that pillow is and I can't stand the way that this clothes, uh, these clothes fit me. Maybe if I lost a little weight, that'd help. Amen? I can't stand the way that this is going. Uh, that food didn't taste good. This has too much sugar. This has too much salt. This doesn't have enough of this. And you just get into a complaining mood. And you know what would help if you got on your face and you just took some time to thank God for the good things in your life. Complaining just seems to fall right off. Letter B, not only does it eliminate complaining, but my thanks time also elevates my blessings. It elevates my blessings. Look at Psalm 100. Look at verse number 5. For the Lord is good. Say it with me, church. Good. His mercy is, next word, everlasting. His truth, next word, endureth. To all generations. In verse 1, the psalmist begins by thanking God for all the good in his life. By the end of the psalm, he's using words like good and everlasting and endureth. When we focus on our blessings, it helps elevate those blessings and elevate our spirits. Being thankful causes us to be even more thankful. Let me say that again. Being thankful causes us to be even more Thankful, it is a wonderful cycle that perpetuates itself. When I am thankful, it causes me to be more thankful, which causes me to be more thankful, which causes me to be more thankful. And that is a great, great, great place to live. Uh, Not only does it eliminate complaining and elevate my blessings, but my thanks time letter C eliminates spiritual depression. Look down at verse number 4. Spiritual depression. Look at verse 4. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. Most depression present in the hearts of the human population is a direct result of sinful living and sinful or godless thinking. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Let's say you're someone who is an Eeyore type. There's always a cloud over your head. You're always down. You're naturally a pessimist. And there are people in this world that life has made them that way. Or maybe they're just naturally that way. Now, I want you to imagine that that's your struggle, all right? I'm not picking on that, that, that person. I'm trying to help you if you're that way, okay? Imagine every day you spend 15 minutes praising God for who He is. You say, well, I don't want to do it. Put it down on a card, put it down in a prayer journal, and force yourself to praise God. You say, well, it's not going to come from my heart. Then do it anyway. You do it long enough, it's going to start coming from your heart. And after you've done that for 15 minutes, be honest with God over your sin. And then when you get done with that, spend 15 minutes thanking God for all of the good that He's put in your life. You say, Pastor, is that going to erase my depression? I don't know, but I know this. You're going to be in a much better place after that 45 minutes than you were before the 45 minutes. And I know this, that a lot of people who struggle with depression... They want to deal with the physical side of it, but they do not want to deal with the spiritual side of it. And I want to say this. God's joy 
is available to you if you'll just simply obey and trust Him. So now you have taken time and you have praised God, you've confessed your sin, and you've taken time to thank God for the good in your life. Number four, my supplication for others. Now this is not found in the model prayer of Matthew 6, but there are two places in the Bible where Jesus lays out, if you will, a model prayer of sorts. Go to John 17. John 17, and I I think Christians need to spend more time uh, reading John 17. If you oversee anybody, you need to read and study John 17. If you are a pastor or aspire to be a pastor, or you are a life group leader, or you are someone who helps me love on the flock of the church here, or you are a deacon, or you are a parent, or you are an employer, you need to read and study John 17, because this contains an intimate prayer of our Savior while He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before He was arrested. This is the prayer Jesus prayed while He was sweating great drops of blood. In this prayer, what did He do? He supplicated. He prayed for those disciples whom He had trained and prepared. Look with me at verse 1 of John 17. I want you to understand that Jesus is in great sorrow and great heaviness as He prays this prayer. These words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify Thy Son, and Thy Son also may glorify Thee. Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. And this is life eternal. And they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. I have glorified Thee on the earth. I have finished the work which Thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, and the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. I have manifested Thy name unto the men which Thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and Thou gavest them me, and they have kept Thy word. Look down at verse 9. Look at that first phrase leading up to the colon. Jesus says, I pray for them. That's supplication. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And we could spend, we could spend all night just on John 17. And we'll give John 17 its due a little bit later in the year as we preach to the book of John. But what is the point here? The point is that Jesus, in His hour of despair, He supplicated, He prayed for His disciples. This is an important practice that should be included in your prayer life. What happens when you take the time to pray or supplicate on behalf of others? Well, letter A, it brings about obedience. It brings about obedience. We won't read the passage tonight because of the hour, but Matthew 22, 35-39, Jesus gives us the two greatest commandments. And this is a mature crowd in the Lord. I believe everybody here knows what the two greatest commandments are. They are what, church? They are to love who? Love the Lord thy God with what? All thy, and thy, and thy, and thy, 
And the second commandment is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy as thyself. Now, listen to me. This is a very important part of the sermon. When you pray for others, there is no one singular act where you can both love God and love others at the same time greater than that. You are loving God by spending time in prayer, and you are loving others by praying for them. Hey, don't lie to people. Don't say to people, hey, I'm praying for you. If you're not praying for them, you better not say that. Don't, listen, praying for someone is the greatest thing you could do for them. Because you are calling out to the Almighty God who is able to step in and do great and mighty and wondrous deeds in their life. Someone says, will you pray for me? And you agree to pray for them. I would recommend you write that down immediately so that you don't forget to do it. Or you pull them off to the side and you pray with them right there and right then. We need to spend time praying for others. Oh, it is so vital. If you work with the children's ministry here, you need to be spending time in prayer every day for the children who are part of your ministry. To our youth pastor, you need to spend time every day praying over our teens. To our deacons and men who help me shepherd the flock, you need to spend time every day praying over the people who attend White Oak Baptist Church. Uh, To the dads in the room tonight, you need to spend time every day praying for those children. To the moms in the room tonight, you need to be praying every day for those children, for their heart to be protected and for them to grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To the grandmothers and grandfathers in the room tonight, you need to pray every day for those grandchildren that call you grandpa, grandma. You need to pray for their soul. Supplicating on behalf of others is the greatest way to love God and love others at the same time. I mentioned in the introduction that when we pray, yes, it might move God's mind, but it changes our character. And you know what? You can't pray for somebody regular enough until God doesn't change your heart where you're a blessing to them. What happens when I pray? Well, it brings about obedience of the two greatest commandments. Letter B. It grows my burden. It grows my burden. Galatians 6.2 Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, the beauty of church is that we help bear one another's burdens. That's the beauty of church. I think of Lexton Campbell right now. Lexton had a stroke a month and a half ago. He's made it home, but he's still suffering. And now Esmeralda has gotten sick. And Lexton's trying to recover from a stroke and take care of his wife at the same time. You know what is a blessing is that there are those of you in this church that pray for Lexton. I think of Marcia right now. She wouldn't want me to say anything, but she's home with a nasty, nasty cold. Pray for her. As a church, we bear one another's burdens. We bear one another's burdens. 
I think of Marion Quaker who fell and broke teeth in her mouth. I think of Maxine who had a fall in his home recovery. And now that I've started naming names, there's so many others. Rosie and Nino came up to me. Rosie came up to me this morning and said, uh, we're going to have a lost family member over this afternoon and we want to witness to them. And this is someone who has scoffed at the gospel in the past. Pray. Pray that the heart will be open to the gospel. Tears running down her cheeks. He got saved. He got saved this afternoon. You know what I did? I put my arm around her this morning and I prayed with her that he'd get saved. You know what we need to do? We need to bear one another's burdens. Hey, let me speak to the church members here who are more private in nature. When you clam up and won't share your burdens, you are doing a great uh, misdeed to yourself because now others can't pray for you. You say, well, my needs are private. I can't share them publicly. Find a person or two in the church that you can share them with who you believe are going to pray and at least tell them so they can pray for you. Don't try to carry those by yourself. Bear ye one another's burdens. Let her see what happens when we supplicate for others. Well, it increases my compassion. It, comp- it increases my compassion. I shared this verse with a group of men from our church yesterday. Confess your faults, James 5 says, one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, it availeth much. We've been commanded by the Lord Jesus to love our enemies. How do you do that? We've been commanded by the Lord Jesus to comfort the feeble-minded. You see, there is a compassion tank that can get emptied out if you're helping people through your own strength. But prayers for others replaces our own spent compassion. It renews our compassion on people who seemingly just take advantage of it. And so when we pray for others, our compassion tank is refilled and we're able to love others. It increases my compassion. You have anybody difficult in your life? Anybody difficult in your life? Pray for them. You say, ah, no, pastor, there's not enough prayers in the world that can help me keep up with how much they drain me. Keep praying and keep praying and keep praying. Ask God to give you a tender heart of compassion toward them. Letter D, what happens when I supplicate for others? Letter D, it motivates me to do my part. Motivates me to do my part. Acts chapter 1 verse 14, Then these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So these uh, are gathered in the upper room. They're supplicating. They're praying for others. Acts 2.14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. Where did he get the power to proclaim the message at Pentecost? He got it uh, on his knees, supplicating with the people in Jerusalem to whom he would preach. 
Peter pre- or prayed, and as a result, he was able to proclaim and preach a compassionate truth of salvation. Verse 37 of Acts 2, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. Now, we know the story of Peter preaching at Pentecost and 3,000 getting saved and baptized. But what many don't understand is that the process of this began way back in Acts 1 when he got on his knees and he supplicated for others. You see, if I get up here and preach this sermon tonight and haven't prayed first, I can't preach with power of God. When I walk with the Lord, that enables me to rightly proclaim truth with great power. That's not just true for me. That's true for you and everything you do in life. Now I know some of you are mentally tired. But I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. Some of you are unable to lead your children any further in life than you have. Maybe you need to get on your knees and pray a little bit harder and God will give you the strength to lead them that little bit extra distance. Some of you here in life are butting heads with a boss and you can't figure out how to move any further. Maybe you need to supplicate first. Some of you in here cannot figure out how to get everything done in the limited hours you have. Maybe it begins with getting on your knees and supplicating for those in your path. Some of you in here are having a hard time with a marriage or having a hard time with children or having a hard time uh, with, a, with, with just uh, a neighbor or whatever it would be. Get on your knees before you try to accomplish that, ask God to work through you and work through that person. Number five, lastly, so we've, we, have, we have praised, we have confessed, we have thanked God, we've prayed for others. Now lastly, number five, my personal supplications. My personal supplications. As we look closely at the Lord's Prayer in Psalm 17, we see that He not only prayed for His disciples, He also prayed for His own needs. The old acrostic for joy is what, church? Jesus, others, yourself. It's a great acrostic to follow in prayer time. Be disciplined enough to pray for your own needs and wants last. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of times people go to the Lord in prayer. and Lord, I this, I that, me this, me that, my this, my that, and I need this, and I need that. And Lord, I, I'm, I have a hard time here, and I'm having a hard time there. And Lord, uh, 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 my, my boss, my, my spouse, my kids, uh, this, that. And the Lord says, well, hold on a second here. Do I revolve around you, or did you come to prayer to revolve around me? And, and Christian, save be disciplined enough to say the prayers you have for yourself to the very end. Worship God. Confess your sin. Uh, thank God for the good He's put in your life. Uh, pray for others and then bring your own petitions to the Lord at last. What happens when I pray for my own needs? Letter A, it reminds me that I am a steward. 1 Corinthians 4.2 Moreover, it is required in a steward that a man be found faithful. As I go to God in prayer and ask Him to fulfill my needs, it reminds me that everything I have was given to me by God, and one day I'll give an account to God for the things He's given to me. Hey, it reminds me that I need to be a good steward of my spouse and a good steward 
of my children and a good steward of my money. A good steward of this church. A good steward of my friendships. Letter B, what else happens when I uh, supplicate for myself? Letter B, it motivates me to live by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. How many of you need some long-suffering in your life? Gentleness. Goodness. Faith. Meekness. Temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, if I will daily yield myself to the Holy Spirit, then I get to have all of these things evidenced in my life. Sign me up for that. I want all nine of those to be evident and obvious to everyone who knows me well. My prayer time for personal needs is a great reminder that my flesh can't. And His Spirit working in me and through me can. Let her see what happens when I supplicate. It empties me of self-reliance. It empties me of self-reliance. Romans 13, 14, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. I can't do it. You can't do it. Life's hard. Life's impossible without Christ. Remember John 15 we looked at last week? Without me, ye can do nothing. You cannot serve God apart from that. Now, I want you to write four words down below letter C or on the back. And every day I pray, I ask God to give me four things. I ask God to give me four things every time I pray. I ask God to give me His power, His wisdom. I ask Him to give me His love. I ask Him to give me His faithfulness. I want to be faithful. I want to get to the end of my life and have been faithful to my wife and my kids and my God and my church. I want to walk in the might and power of the Holy Spirit. I want His wisdom to make decisions to love people that are Need, need help. Need His love to help people who are broken. Every day, as you ask God for prayer, instead of asking Him to give you a new car, a new job, a new house, never ask God to give you a new spouse. Amen? That's a bad idea. Thank God for the spouse He gave you. Ask God to renew those four things every day. And if you'll follow that model of prayer, listen, you can pray for hours on end. Or you can pray for 20 minutes. Let's be people who pray. The disciples looked at Jesus and they said, that man, he prays all night. Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus said, after this manner, pray. Lord, tonight... Help us to evaluate our schedules. Lord God, this is not a schedule problem. If we're not praying, it is never a schedule problem. It is always a heart problem. 
But Lord, we need to schedule a time to pray or we won't do it. And so Lord, help us to evaluate our schedules and help us to evaluate our hearts. Help us to sincerely spend time in Your presence because Lord God, You deserve it. But Lord God, we need it in order to be the best Christian we can be. So, Lord God, I ask that your Spirit work in each heart tonight. Show us how we can be better at this thing called prayer. Help us to commit to do it day in and day out for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet.